Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church. If you are new, once again, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Lucas. And I am so grateful you're here with us today. I'd love to meet you. Our tr- we want to meet you at the Welcome Center. We want you to get plugged in. And I know maybe some of you are just visiting, new. Maybe you're moving here. Whatever it may be, grateful that you are here. And thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we are in a series profoundly titled Acts as we walk through the book of Acts. And uh, it's going to be a long series. We're kind of in the middle of it, like right dead center. I, it could be week 8, could be week 14. I don't know. But we're, we're walking through, and it's been wonderful. And so I hope you've been journeying along with us in that. couple overarching themes. Let me give some just context of kind of where we've been, uh, where we're headed today, and all that in between. We, we recognized right from the start in the book of Acts that the promised Holy Spirit comes upon the scene. That Jesus ascends into heaven, and from there, the Holy Spirit comes, which is, which is powerful. And I think sometimes we look at the book of Acts as like the, the letter, the book, if you will, of the early church, which it does, absolutely. We see that formed. But more so than that, we continue to see chapter by chapter how the Holy Spirit comes and fills men and women and uses men and women to build the church. Like you see, again, in Acts 2, you see the upper room experience. In Acts 3, Peter and John, they come, they meet someone, say, you know, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do, I give to you. It's the promised Holy Spirit. You see a refilling in Acts 4. You see Stephen give his life, the first martyr in Christendom. And the Bible says that he was a man full of grace and full of the Holy Spirit. And I find it so fascinating, even as we kind of move from part one of Acts, which was the power of the gospel, meaning the Holy Spirit, we kind of shift now into part two, which is the growth of the gospel, the boom, if you will, of the early church. We still see the same undertone. You still see the Holy Spirit's undergirthing this whole thing, that the Holy Spirit is in fact the thing that continues to build and profoundly empower the disciples, the apostles, and many more. I think I even realized, and I said this to the 6 p.m. service, but when I really looked at Stephen, specifically that character in Acts like 6, 7, 8 sort of, he's kind of in a few chapters, that it doesn't matter how willing I am to do whatever God calls me to do if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I can be willing, but it starts with the filling, right? Like I can speak about courage, but when I'm actually faced in a moment of hardship or difficulty, it's the Holy Spirit that brings boldness. And so honestly, we can talk about Stephen and say, let's go change the world, let's give our lives. And we want to be willing, but have we first started with the filling of the Holy Spirit? And I really believe that to be true. And so I just, I don't want to miss that. It was J.A. Packer who said, the Holy Spirit's main ministry is not just to give thrills, but to create in us a Christ-like character. And I believe that to be true. And so with that in mind, as we kind of enter into part two of Acts, which Andy did kick off last week, a really great sermon. You should go back and listen to it. Um, We're going to continue to look at that. The church is exploding. We're going to kind of get into, I think, some of the pieces that lots of you wanted to get into when it comes to Acts, the bold moments of like preaching and when Paul's kind of up against it. You've you've kind of been waiting for that. We're going to hit that today um, in in kind of this part. Acts, we're going to be in 13 and 14. I was supposed to do 13, 14, 15. But that's like a lot. I don't know if we'll get, I, you, will, you will be late for brunch if we did all of that. Um, and Andy wasn't here this morning and I made a joke about it, but now Pastor Lisa's here, so I'm just going to stick to my script, okay? <laughs> we'll get you out of here on time. 
Andy would tell you he'd get you out here in time and do what he wants anyways. So there you go. And he's allowed to do that. I am not. So with that in mind, would you follow me? Acts 13, are you ready? Not ready. Not ready, church. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. So if you're not ready, well, you just have to be ready. Here we go. Okay, Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they had placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, there it is again, went down to Caesarea and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was right there with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means like the son of Jesus. They met, excuse me, um, he was the attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, who is Bar-Jesus, Luke just refuses to use his name as Bar-Jesus anymore from this point on, which I think is kind of cool. He's the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with, uh, someone say it please, Holy Spirit, it's still there, can't get away from it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him as he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When, he, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So here we have Paul's kind of first real mission, like his first setting out into what he's about to do. And I want to remind you, we often read the heroes of the faith, specifically people like Paul, and assume it went from this beautiful moment on the road to Damascus where his life has changed to the greatest missionary ever. <laughs> and that's not what happens. We actually know that he stayed in Damascus for a long time and learned from the very Jews and the different people he actually went, the Christians that he went to actually arrest and hurt and kill. We also know he stayed in Antioch for a long time and learned and gleaned and understood and asked questions. So Paul has taken his time to learn the gospel inside and out. I love what it says here. It, it's not like he went from one spot to then he's preaching. It actually said in verse 2, I want to read that again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and sent them. In a moment of personal growth, Paul was then called out for public ministry. For a moment of personal, like, faith understanding, building up, growing in that moment, in the private, in the quiet, just with friends, in prayer, and in worshiping the Lord, and in fasting, that is where the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to send you now. And I need to remind you that, that a lot of us come in, and listen, I, I love our church. I know we have a church that wants to be used by God. Amen? I know there are men and women in here of all, like, different backgrounds and professions, consultants and lawyers and doctors and teachers and engineers and landscapers and builders, moms and dads and 
single professionals and ev- students and everywhere in between from all like backgrounds from different places all over the world. All of us want to be used by God. I know that's the truth. And I know many of us have a burden. But do we have a burden to work hard in the private? Or do we just have a burden to do ministry in the public? And I want to have a burden not just about something, but I want to have a burden for the work. Right? Because God wants to send people who have a burden for the work, not just a burden. Like, it goes hand in hand. Paul has done his due diligence. He's been waiting and praying and, and intercessing and, and asking the Holy Spirit for movement. He's fasted, and, and then the Holy Spirit sends him. It's kind of like we sometimes want to be like a backseat driver to God's plan. You know? Hey, listen. Nobody likes a backseat driver, okay? If you were in the passenger seat, you have a job. DJ, right? You were in charge of music, and that is an important role but you're not the driver. And I think sometimes we're like, oh, you should have gone that way, or I would have done this thing. It's like, are you driving? No. That's enough. And they're like, no more, please. Actually, my wife's a great driver. She does not backseat drive. She's a great driver. You know what she does? She's a backseat parker. She always wants me to park somewhere really close, or let's go to the front. It's only Christmas Eve. There'll be tons of spots. It's like, listen, I am a dad of three. I reserve the right to park as far away as humanly possible. That's what I do. Right, dads? I don't care if there's three spots right beside the door. We're parking way over here. In fact, we're going to park at a different mall and walk to Mayfair. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a dad, and that's what we do. All the dads in here are like, yes, right? I don't need my Sienna getting dinged up by some Miata trying to squeeze in a spot. I will go where there's 17 spots completely isolated from anyone else. Thank you very much. I'll drop you off, Trina, and the kids, sure. But I'm parking way over there. And I love it, right? I don't need some backseat park. And that's kind of how we are with God. Where it's like, you know, Lord, I have an idea. Do you want to get behind the wheel? No, no, it's just an idea. Well, what if we did? God, I, I, send me here. Okay, let me make a way. I'll just, you know, hold on. Just an idea. Just thinking about it. He wants people with a burden who understand that the burden comes with the work. Comes with the energy. Comes with the effort. He wants to send you to wherever you, you feel that call, but be ready to work, friends. Be ready to put in the work. And I love that we see that here by Paul. And I want to encourage you to, to, to gain that heart for work, that burden. Maybe that starts with you doing what Paul did, worshiping, fasting, and praying. And it's interesting. They eventually find themselves in this city called Paphos. They kind of go to a bunch of different spots. They start in the synagogue. And Paphos was infamous, friends, for its worship of Venus, the goddess of sexual love. Anastasius, a church leader, kind of like early church father, 320 AD or so, was quoted saying this. Its religion, meaning Paphos, is the defecation of lust. Not just lust itself. Neither men nor women could resort to the shrine of Venus without being defiled in mind and deprived in character. There is this false prophet here in this city, this heaviness of the city, trying to stop the proconsul who... Sergius Paulus was a Roman official. You have to understand, he had control, was an important man, was responsible for the enti- an entire province, and he reported to the Roman Senate. This is a man with influence. This is a man who is important. This is a man who dictates many things, and this is a beautiful moment for Paul and Barnabas. And they're ready to, to tackle it, but, but they're faced with opposition. They're faced with opposing counsel, if you were, opposing words. And here Paul could say, you know what, it's not my day. I think sometimes we're called into something, church, and we face opposition and we think, oh, God's hand isn't on it, right? And we think it's not a blessing. 
Friends, there is going to be opposition. Today's message is literally titled, Accepted and Rejected, because Paul faced that everywhere he went. The next chunk of ministry you're going to see from Paul is he'll start somewhere, and then he eventually gets kicked out, and then he goes to the streets, and he ministers there, and then eventually there's a mob, and he gets kicked out, and he flees for his life, and then he starts in another city, and goes to another city. Like, there is going to face opposition, but his boldness matches his burden, and he is prepared for the moment, and it's very interesting. Paul calls him out. He calls it what he sees. He uses harsh words, doesn't he? He did. Let's be honest. He, he called him a child of the devil. <laughs> He's, but then he describes how this Iliamas works. He says, you use trickery, deceit, and perversion. Friends, that is how the enemy loves to work. Trickery, fool you thinking one thing. Lies, tri- like deceit, he'll tell you something that is not true. And perversion, he'll take a beautiful gift from God and he'll pervert it and change it and try and mask it into something it was not created to be. He'll take money, which is this thing that should be a resource that we can generously give, and he'll pervert it, that we hoard it and take control of it. He'll take things like family and success. He'll take, he'll take sex and sexuality, and he'll try and pervert it and shift it instead of keeping it in the place that God has designed it. And this is how the enemy wants to work. And Paul sees this. And in this moment, is there, is there debate? Is there strong words? Is there lovely counsel? Is there like conversation that happens? No. Because Paul says, listen, what I'm seeing here is not right. I think there's a place to have discussion and conversations about faith where people can disagree and agree and we can have those. But we need that. But this is not that moment. This moment calls for Paul to actually speak right away. And, he's, and he actually calls what he sees. Spiritual ignorance and spiritual blindness. And so he blinds him. And here's what's so interesting. This may seem intense, but the Bible says he blinded him for a time because Paul was already spiritually, he was spiritually blind and he was physically blinded as well. So he's not forcing this man to do something horrible. He's actually saying, listen, when I was physically blinded, I found my spiritual blindness and then I received from God. I believe Paul is trying, in his first mission, in his first moment, he's trying to say, listen, what you think you see isn't right, and you're going to face, you're not going to see the sun in hopes that this man would actually turn from the inside out and see that his spiritual blindness has corrupted his heart. So his hope is that this man will turn, and we don't know what happens. I want to encourage you, church, to not get caught up sometimes in the games of trickery or shouting something online. It's not helpful. You don't need, he didn't engage with this person because there was nothing to engage with. He called out spiritual blindness. He was bold in his faith. And I encourage you to have the spirit close. Be prepared to give an answer for why you believe, which we'll talk about later. Be willing to have deep, meaningful discussions with people who have the right motive about life and faith. And as Christians, as the church, if you're a Christian in here, I want to encourage you to rise above the pettiness of, of conversation online and have meaningful conversation when God presents it and, and move away from conversation that's not encouraging or helpful or moving anywhere. You understand what I'm saying? I believe that we're actually called to bring spiritual depth to the spiritually blind. And, we, and that's true. Like, we need to be ready. In fact, when conversations get petty, I encourage you, church, bring power and purpose into the conversation. Don't, don't fly to petty insults or witty remarks, but rise above and have purpose and power behind your answers and thoughtful remarks. When the conversation gets childish and, and, and deceitful, 
brings spiritual maturity and wisdom. When the conversation gets deceitful, bring truth and grace. Thank you, Gospel of John. John 1. When conversations turn with heaviness and sadness, because often conversations do, bring the Holy Spirit that comforts and brings hope to the hopeless. That is how we are called to be in conversation and discussion. But Paul sees this. He calls it for what it is. This man is blinded for a moment. It's what Paul understood. It's what Paul faced physically. And it spiritually awoke Paul. And I think he's hoping and believing for a spiritual awakening even in this man. The story ends with Paulus, interestingly enough, being amazed at the teaching. And we actually have inscriptions and historical documents that show him and his entire family became Christians. But if you keep reading Acts 13, more stuff happens. And eventually he goes from the synagogue to this moment to the, to the marketplace. And then he has to run away. And now we find ourselves in Acts 14. Okay, we're moving along. We're keeping it going. It said, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. In, in, excuse me, at Iconium. There they spoke, this is interesting, so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, and he had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city. He brought, they brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is a wild story. This is a lot. It is. It's, it's wild what's happening right now. They've come in. They've, again, they go to the synagogue, which, again, was very normal for Paul's ministry. First to the Jewish synagogue, and he'd have healthy debate, conversations, persuasive conversation, trying to show them how... The gospel is now, Jesus has now come, that the gospel is real, that the Messiah in the Old Testament that they read about is now here. But then he heals someone and all this commotion breaks out. And these people think that they're Greek gods who have come down. And I want you to see now how Paul actually has conversation with these men and women. Listen to this. I know there's a lot of scripture, but we're almost done. It says, but when the apostles, uh, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, the Bible says, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Okay, 
Thank you. I, there was a lot of scripture, but I need you to see that in full context. It's reading these parts of Acts where I am truly blown away in terms of just the stories we witness, the boldness of Paul, the willingness to go into these places. Paul's ministry, and again, it kind of goes the same way throughout. You'll see in this whole next part, starts in the synagogue, moves to the city, gets kind of kicked out of both, some sort of coalition, mob, run for your life. And I want to double down on a point I made before, but I want to show you the difference between the two chunks of scripture. It said that Paul spoke so effectively that a great number of disciples came to know the Lord. Later in Acts 19, it says something like this, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom. Church, I want, to be, I want to be careful not to make anyone feel insecure in their knowledge of the Bible or their heart or anything like that. But I really believe, I really believe as a Christian, you should have a thoughtful response. If you're a Christian in the house, a thoughtful response to many, some, lots of, little bits of the questions that people will ask you about your faith. Can I say that again? I believe it's truly important that you are able to present the gospel in a way that invites belief, that encourages people to think with you. I think this is really important, that we should be able to present the gospel in a way that invites belief, rather than denigrating someone's previous thinking. I think there's this, this pendulum right now of just argument over this or that, or this theology or that, or this perspective or that. But that is not what Paul does here. He is bold in his faith and he declares he goes to the, to the Jewish synagogue and he preaches and he shows the Old Testament. He understands their context, their culture. He knows what they're going to understand. He knows what they've been trained in. And then what does he do? He's talking to the Greeks. They literally believe that Greek gods are here and they've showed up. And so what does he do? He uses kind of natural, like, revelation. He talks about things about how God has given you rain from heaven for your crops and your seasons. He's provided your stomach with food. He gives your heart joy. You see what I'm saying? Like, he, he knows who he's talking to, and he's presenting the gospel in God in a way that invites belief, that invites understanding, that invites a way to actually share the gospel. And I think we think, well, this is how I'm wired, so this is how I'm going to share. But friends, the way I preach at the 9 a.m. and the way I'll preach tonight at the 6 p.m. is going to be different. It's going to be different. The way I talk to someone maybe at work and the way I talk to someone at Starbucks I meet for the first time is going to be different. I should consider that. I should consider the surroundings that God has called me to go, placed me in, put me in for a very specific reason. I had a friend recently who is, who is very intelligent, far smarter than me, and he gave me a book to read in kind of rebuttal to something I was saying to him. And I've been trying to read it <laughs> with a thesaurus. Because... I don't get all words so good. Like, I don't. But I'm trying. I'm trying to understand the way he thinks, the way he responds to things. Why? Because I want to be so ready to present the gospel in a way that it invites belief. And Paul does this so well. He says one thing to the Jews. In fact, I think there's, I could be wrong, but I believe he argued in Ephesus for over three years and still some people rejected him. But he finds growth with the Greeks here in this moment. And he's, he's shedding off his clothes, showing his like, dad bod to be like, I'm just a guy who loves the Lord. And he's just trying to present the gospel in a way that 
every person, regardless of background or generation or denomination, understands. Why? Because every person, whether your background or how old you are, deserves to hear the gospel. Amen? And so he's trying his best to show it that way. And I believe this is a lesson for us, that we like to be comfortable in our space, in the way we present, in the way we talk. It's so much easier to share a link on Facebook than it is to have meaningful dialogue and conversation that brings nuance and humanity and love into every conversation. It's work, isn't it? He calls you to it. A burden's not good enough. A burden ready to work is where God actually will use you and push you. He understands people, how they think, what they see, and he affirms their value, but gives them a a fresh perspective of their thinking. He doesn't affirm their thinking. You notice that? He doesn't say, oh, yes, we are, and because of that, you should listen to us. No, he actually humbles himself, tears off his clothes and says, what you're thinking is wrong, but what you're you're saying about the goodness from God is, is important, and I want to show you that. And he tries to affirm their value as people. And I just want to say, as a church, and I know this to be true, we want to be known for what we are for, not just what we are against. Especially not, right? And so we should be affirming the goodness of God, the victory of the cross, the saving power of Jesus. And there's practical ways you can do this, church. Like, there's this thing called YouTube, and there's like a lot of videos on there that you could check. That's, that's me being sarcastic, okay? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a great book. I think it's in our library here, but if not, you can always get the Christian book of music. The, the late, great Tim, Tim Keller wrote a book called A Reason for God. It's a great book. It's easy to understand. There's honest questions that people are asking, your friends, your coworkers, your family. And we, we should have answers. Peter writes about this. We should have answers. And I want to read something to you that I was thinking about even just earlier this morning. I really want to like read it out as a statement, not just a, a thought. My notes are all over the place. And, but this is something I wrote out. And I just want to share with you here, for anyone who would say, I'm, I'm a skeptic, I'm not a Christian, I'm deconstructing, I'm on the fence. I obviously can't make a, a full case for Christ here in this moment. We're preaching in a series. There's a great book, though, Least Trouble. Check it out. Check it out. A movie, even, if you prefer that. But I want to read this to you. There is a God who loves you. If you're a skeptic in here, there is a God who is real and tangible. There is a faith that you can have that cares for every person and every human in their intrinsic value. I believe this to be true. The Christian worldview takes morality, meaning, purpose, truth, destiny, and gives cohesive answers in a way to real-life values that no other worldview does. I understand that pain is real. But Christ knows and suffered for you and comforts beside you. There is an authenticity in the Christian faith that can't and will not be found in culture or vices that the world brings. Those, those vices lead you to this dull, dulling of yourself and into nihilism. So bring your questions because God is not scared. He's waiting. He's waiting for your questions. He's waiting to hear your heart. The heart he created, by the way. The heart that he created for you. The heart that he longs to show you. Because he wants to show himself and yourself to your best self. And your full self. How beautiful and powerful is that? Friends, this is the God who loves you. And I want to encourage you to chase after it and ask those questions. 
Church, please, would you strive this week and weeks to come to have real answers for questions you know you may face or have faced before? You know, as we look at this first trip of Paul and Barnabas, it's kind of their first big kind of loop kind of from Antioch and they come around. I see boldness. I see courage. I see Holy Spirit-directed ministry. I see guys who fasted and prayed in preparation. I see humility. They performed, they performed miracles and wonders. And then when people call them gods, they don't go, like they, they humble themselves. These guys did everything right. They did everything. I'm like, I look at this and I'm like, that's a great missions trip. A plus. Like, you did good. And yet, people left unchanged. And the way this, at least Acts 14 ends is they were dragged and stoned. So go and be well. No, I'm just kidding. But, but kind of, no. As a Christian, I think it's just important to recognize if you are a Christ follower in here today, to be aware of the reality and come to terms with that our life and faith will both be accepted and rejected because Christ was both accepted and rejected. But even if it's rejected, Christ walks beside you. He never leaves you. I think that's the solace we find. It's not that everyone's going to love the message. In fact, the Bible talks about how the gospel will be foolish to some people. It's not that you'll be the most loved person in the world. It's that despite the rejection, like you're going to have wins, friends. That's important to recognize. That for some of us, we just need to step out and have some conversations and you would be amazed. Don't forget, it said that many people came to know Jesus. Many so I want to share that. I want to make sure. I don't think I hit that well enough for the nine. That as we like go and talk about this, like people come to know their savior, their creator. That's important to know. But also we will face rejection. But Christ walks beside you. Jesus goes with you. The Holy Spirit is in you and you never walk alone. I'm so thankful to God for that. And I just want to say one thing as we close. Like two things can happen. I think when you do it all right, they did, you know, these guys, they did it by the book. They made no mistakes, if you will. And sometimes we, we get in this place where we're like, you know what? It's fine. I just don't need to talk to anyone. I'm just going to be over here, right? We can agree to disagree on this issue or this thing or this whatever it is. And I'm going to be over here and do my Christian thing. And this, you can go over there. And as long as you don't, you know, have to engage and fight, let's just agree to disagree, right? We'll have this kind of, and we kind of become Christian isolationists. And the gospel doesn't give you that. Acts does not show that. Paul does not hide in his, in his corner. In fact, you can go back to the gospels where Jesus is talking about actually being a light on a hill. He's actually pointing at a place, and I've said this before, where there were these specific sect of Jews who would sit in the Qumran caves and they would just sit and not talk to the world. And they'd hide themselves. And he's saying, don't be like them. The gospel doesn't give you that. You have to go. In fact, I think it was Richard Dawkins who literally said, if a Christian is not willing to evangelize me, how do I really know what they believe? So I'm, here's what, I'm not asking you to go and throw Bibles at people's faces today. You know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not. What I'm suggesting is this. 
to learn your surroundings, to understand the people that God has placed in your life and to begin to have meaningful conversations where God is clearly the center, where you share the gospel in a loving way, where you can begin to wrestle with people in their real life questions and be there for them in ways they never thought any person would be there. And we begin to see life change. Don't get angry, don't get mad, don't get frustrated. That's not what Paul does. He sticks to the boldness of the gospel. He continues to preach and to love people well. He continues to help and be a part of the community and share food. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I don't want to go too far down the road of like prepare for rejection every day. But this, there's something to learn here about just continuing to fight, to push in your faith, even though some people will accept and re- reject. It's about finding the balance of kindness and boldness and sharing openly about how wonderful and incredible the message of Jesus really is. Because friends, we just sang a song. It said, I won't be quiet. My God is alive. How can I keep that inside? Is it just a song? Or will that line, that question, lovingly challenge you this week in the places that God has brought you? Because here's the thing. The burden of sharing the gospel is not just a burden. It's actually a blessing. It is the greatest blessing that we have. Let me pray over you. Jesus, today, we come before you very astutely aware of everything that our world offers and everything that you offer. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every person in here. I know that there are people who are willing to go, who are excited to to love people, to share the gospel, to evangelize, to bring a bold word to friends, to coworkers. Lord, I just pray right now that we as as the church would understand that this is a beautiful blessing placed upon us, that we have the greatest hope anyone has to offer, that we walk with you, Lord, every single day, understanding your goodness and your grace. Let us lead with mercy and kindness in Jesus' name. Let us be prepared to answer questions and honor people well. Lord, I pray that we would be ready to say, I don't know, but I know who does. Jesus, today I pray for the person who has been feeling kind of an inkling, almost a challenge, a conviction to go and begin to share. I pray you'd give them wisdom, the correct words, and the right place, Lord, to share your goodness and your gospel. Jesus, I ask right now as a church that we would be a bold church, that we would not hide in the shadows away from the world. Lord, but we would let this question kind of lovingly haunt us in a way. How can I keep that inside? How could I keep such good news to myself? Lord Jesus, I pray for every service of the day, for every person who comes to our church, would they know and see that you love them, that you are for them, that there is a gospel that changes lives, that transforms hearts, that brings freedom where there is bondage, that brings hope where there is none. Jesus, we run to you today. I pray for that heart in here that has been really skeptic, Lord, really even frustrated. feels like a prayer was prayed and there was no answer given. Lord Jesus, I pray they would run to you with their heart. I pray that, Lord, you, you would reach down. You would hold them close. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us right now and comfort those who feel tired and weary. Jesus, we ask that the gospel would come alive, that truth would solidify, 
And Jesus, you would raise up us ready to go to preach and to love everyone. Lord, I pray for the questions in this room. May they not just go unanswered, but may, would we seek out answers? Would we help one another? Would we converse well? And Lord, overall, we praise your name and all that you have done on the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said.